and the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence by the military-industrial complex. Are the Bible's prophecies today's reality? This could be the sign that signals the return of Christ. World leaders are working behind the curtains. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. Secret societies, secret oaths. Now, get ready for an hour of truth that will make you think. We'll examine Bible prophecy and see how close we are to the return of Jesus Christ for His church. You're in the zone. Politics, Israel, the Middle East, the revised European superstate, and more. All in the zone. This is the Prophecy Zone with your host, Phil Armstrong. My name is Christine Wyke, and today we are going to dig a little bit further into the book of Revelation as we look at the wedding that takes place in heaven, where if you are a believer, you will be in attendance for that. Actually, you're going to be the bride. And um, it'll be a little interesting here to see um, a couple of things that, that I have found that are clues as to who the guests are going to be. And then after that, we'll kind of touch a little bit further into uh, Revelation chapter 19, where we uh, hear or look at the victor on the white horse, which is Jesus Christ on this one. So let's start with Revelation 19, first verse. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Here we have a victory party for sure. Uh, Justice has been served, and at this point we are past the destruction of Babylon, which all of heaven precludes to say that was justice, that that was needed, it's something that had to be done. Um, The blood of the saints are on their hands, the ones that were in Rome, where I see the Babylon here in Revelation as being the Rome of today. And uh, we also have the adulteries that were done by the great harlot, which I see is the perversion of the Roman Catholic Church as it even becomes more adulterous in the latter days. And this is something that just is in the past now and things are now going forward to the party in heaven, which is also the wedding banquet. 
Look at this here where it says the smoke that continues for eternity from the ruins of Babylon. Um, This could be interpreted a few different ways, but could it be literal? Is it possible that the smoke from her burning, now remember, we get a new heaven and a new earth, and actually that's going to be, I believe, my discussion here next week. Um, You've got to tune into that. It's amazing what I have found throughout the Bible of what the next thousand years are going to be like. Um, We do get a makeover of heaven and earth, but is there at some point a memory of what happened to Babylon as a reminder or as a monument to what happens when you go against the things of God or when you worship something else? Is the smoke something that is actual? Will it be a thin column of smoke that comes from the earth at all times? Or is a smoke like a memory? Um, It will always be one thing that will be taught to the generations that come into the thousand-year reign of Christ. It will always be one of those things that be a history lesson. That will be interesting. Of course, we'll have the answer for that soon. Revelation 19, verse 5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder. Um, imagine here the sound of all millions of people. I, You know what? When I've been in a stadium before where there was... Um, you know, a concert going on, and then they want the encore. So everybody starts yelling at the end of the show, trying to bring the band back on stage. And uh, if you were as wild as I was in my younger days, we used to have these rock concerts where, you know, the more noise you could make, the more hollering you can do, it was a better chance of bringing the band back on stage. And imagine the roar of millions of people, uncountable. I mean, in a stadium, you're dealing with just several thousand people. And I I can't imagine the the deafening sound. And this is going to be awesome. And John describes it here as going by Niagara Falls times 100, um, taking the biggest thunderstorm you can imagine and just timesing that by thousands and just understanding the noise. And obviously, this is all in praise. Hallelujah, for our Lord God mighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was was given for her to wear. Notice how the bride has made herself ready. Um, the groom, you know, it kind of put this into consideration of how we do our weddings today. Um, the bride is primped by her bridesmaids, and, and the, the groom is basically, you know, I mean, has chosen the woman. But the groom, you know, he's, he's separated from her for a moment while she gets herself ready. And is this the way that we are to live our life? We are to get ourselves ready for Christ's coming. Um, we are to make ourselves blameless. Of course, his blood has covered us for that, but it's the acceptance of that blood that has made us pure. And um, this is just an indication here that it's an effort also on the Christian's part to have that relationship with Christ. 
there is so much here in Jewish custom um, as wedding de- as the wedding preparations are made. Uh, I could probably spend a couple of hours just going through all the details of what Jewish customs are like even to today. Now, weddings in the Jewish culture are a big deal, much more bigger than your typical Christian wedding that we have here in the United States. Um, even just looking at the royal wedding um, that occurred earlier this month, the Jewish weddings take this much more um, into the limelight, make it much more festive. And actually, a Jewish wedding can last for several days. Obviously, we know that the bridegroom is Jesus Christ himself, and the bride is the church, who is made up of all those who have been saved and have believed on the groom, Jesus Christ, uh, being uh, shed up on the cross for us. The place of the ceremony is obviously in heaven. Um, So at this point, you have got to understand the rapture, of course, must have occurred. And uh, as the situation unfolds in heaven, everybody who is supposed to be present at the wedding is going to be there. However, there is one thing that needs to be decided. Revelation 19, verse 9. Then the angel said to me, who is the Apostle John, write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. What needs to be completed here is the guest list. Blessed are those who are invited. Now think about this. Who are those? If Christ is the groom and the bride of Christ are all believers from the time of his death up to the rapture has been completed. You know, a lot of people think, well, being invited to the the wedding of the Lamb, that's the believer. Well, it's not, because that's the bride of Christ. So who is left over here? And we find who the invited guests are by a revelation here, in the Gospels. You've got to find this and read it for yourself. I'm actually taking this out of the NIV version because it's a little easier to understand it. But any version of Bible you look at, you will find this explains who are the invited guests. Okay, go to John 3, 28 and 29. I'm going to read it. You yourselves can testify that I said, and this is John the Baptist speaking, I am not the Christ, but am sent, but have been sent ahead of him. The, bl- the bride belongs to the bridegroom. In other words, the church belongs to Jesus. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. John the Baptist is making this statement. Now, we know from the story of John the Baptist that he did prepare the way for the Messiah, but was also beheaded during Jesus' ministry. What he is saying here in John 3 is that he is a friend of the groom. He is not a part of the bride. You would think, well, how can that be? John was obviously a follower of Christ. But remember this, understand the meaning of salvation here. 
John the Baptist died before Christ shed his blood uh, before Christ shed his blood on the cross. He was not saved by the same thing we are saved today. In turn, he is not the bride of Christ. But as he states, he is a friend of the groom. Therefore, he is the invited guest. So if the bride here in Revelation is the church, saved by the cross, then the friends of the bride and the groom are all those who had died and were saved according to the Jewish custom or the Jewish law. Maybe let's put this in simpler terms. Those who died in Christ are the bride. Those who died before Christ died on the cross are going to be the friends. Now, back to Revelation chapter 19. These invited guests will mostly come from the Old Testament. Now, let's just imagine that since we are the bride, we also get to choose who attends our wedding and, obviously, the wedding reception or the wedding supper. The Bible doesn't imply this, but I wonder if we actually do get the chance to create our own guest lists. Now, think about this. Who would you invite to your wedding with Jesus Christ? We are the bride. We get to call it. Daniel, Moses. How about Noah? Abraham and Isaac. Now can you imagine what a party in heaven this will be? We have both the com- the combination of the bride and all the believers with the Old Testament prophets and people that we have read about for thousands of years. Oh, the noise that this now has been for John to understand and for John to comprehend. Now you can understand why there is such a ruckus in heaven. Revelation 19, verse 10. And I pretty much... Uh, feel that I'm right with this interpretation, that the guests are going to be the Old Testament people by what is stated here in Revelation 19, verse 10. At this, I fell to his feet to worship him. Now remember, this is John falling at the feet of the angel who's showing him this preparation for the wedding. But the angel said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. There's a lot said in this verse. Let's pick it apart. First of all, John is overcome with an extreme emotion. I think the scene of all the people preparing for the wedding, the anticipation is just too much to comprehend. And his first reaction is to worship the angel. This is such a human reaction from John because he is not he is not just overjoyed. He is over overjoyed. Put yourself into his shoes. How would you react? The angel is the closest thing standing to him, and John is way beyond giving hugs and high fives at this point because John knows that he will be a part of this celebration. But take this one step further. John will actually be part of the bride because he passed away after Christ had passed away. So he was covered by the salvation on the cross. But look at what he sees. He sees that he was able to see his Jewish ancestors. And you know how the apostles were 
always um, a reading on the prophets, and their whole upbringing was based on the law and the prophets. Now imagine John is able to meet these people in actuality, but also his parents again. If his parents were saved by the law, chances are they were probably dead at the time of Jesus. And now you can see John's like, whoa, I get to see my family again, as well as all of the history that I was taught. This verse also tells us a little something about the angel. Notice that the angel rebukes John for the act of worship, but he doesn't punish him. And I think this is the angel understanding John's human part at this point because of him being so overjoyed. But notice how the angel, now this one I can probably say I fought over a little bit with this with myself. So this is just my idea. Could the angel that John is with here also have lived on earth at one point as a man? Because notice at the last point, he says, I am also a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. So the angel also has that relationship with Jesus Christ and holds to the testimony. Um, Like I said, that's just something that the verse is not real clear on. It was just something that let's just look at it and just throw it in there. Now, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Notice that's what the angel states. I find that comment so intriguing, if not maybe just a little confusing. Would it seem that the angel is stating here that if you believe Jesus Christ as your Lord, you already have a spirit of prophecy? Now, that would underline the belief of Christ dying on the cross and being resurrected is automatically tied to the belief of also his return. That, to me, goes hand in hand. You believe that Christ died and rose again, and then you add in there and his coming back. And that right there is prophecy. All right, let's move on into uh, further into Revelation. As we see the bride is getting ready to be prepared to meet the groom, the next event that John describes relates to the groom, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 11 of 19. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. Now, this other, there is, this of course, is two horses of white that are mentioned in Revelation. The first white horse we have talked about in the opening of the seal is going to be the Antichrist. Um, but this, however, is we have another um, white horse, and this obviously is Jesus Christ because of the names that are given. But notice in the verse that he has eyes blazing like fire. Okay, now this is something that is indicating that Jesus is very angry with something or about something or with someone. And pretty soon we're going to see who that anger is vented to. Now the many crowns on his, his head show the leadership of so many different roles. Um, probably a judge of nations, the judge of each person, the conqueror of demons, the ruler over kings. You know, the a list of Christ's crowns and the names of the crowns would would be endless. Verse thirteen: He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. 
Look at the importance here to see the relevance of the robe dipped in blood. And if we go back to Revelation 14, verse 20, we already covered the trampling of the wine press. Jesus is revealed here as the one who has done the trampling. Notice that the robe is dipped in blood or the punishing of the grapes in the wine press. And the wine or the blood has spurted up onto his garments. It is in his anger that he has squished the grapes with such a force that this wine or the blood is spattered onto the robe. Now, you could say that this is just an explanation or a figure of speech. But the ancient method of creating wine in a wine press was not done with animals or stones. It was done with the bare feet of people. And this would give the idea of using body weight to squish grapes versus if you would just use your hands. So I think the metaphor applies here. Jesus trampled the wine press, which we know to be in the Battle of Armageddon. Verse 14, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, the people from heaven who take the side of God are dressed similar to the bride. I believe it goes against tradition for the bride to do battle alongside the groom, which leaves me argument to say that these mounted warriors are those Old Testament saints who are the friends of the bride and groom, not actually the church. Um, you know, this this is up for argument. Um, a lot of people say, well, no, it's the church that comes back on the white horses be, behind uh, Jesus is the armies of heaven. Um, maybe it's something we could volunteer for. Um, maybe it's something if we wish to do it. Christ allows us to to ride along in battle. But basically the bride is not someone who fights along with her husband or a groom at the time of war. That is left to his friends. Another thought to consider, if every man, woman, and child were to meet at the final battle of Armageddon, there is just not enough land space to accommodate such a large gathering. And this explains why Jesus comes back on a white horse with his army to finish off what remains. And this event, I believe, can be seen from those on the earth. The garments of the warriors are clean, unlike that of Jesus' clothing, which tells me that the killing of Armageddon had already occurred. So the question could be answered in this next verse. What is the purpose of these warriors behind Jesus? Verse 15. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. This show of force by Jesus Christ will subdue the rest of the earth to the point of brokenness. There is no indication that all these nations are slaughtered just yet, but rather they are gathered together or conquered The slaughtering will take place later on, which may be the answer to what the purpose is of the armies of heaven. Understand that the second gathering of nations is what is occurring here. The first gathering was at Armageddon. This is the second one. Verse 19 Uh, Verse 17 through 18. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, 
come and gather together for the great supper of God. Now we have a name of this battle, the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of the kings, generals, mighty mighty men of horses and their riders, the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Now we have everybody. Continue on to verse 19. Then I saw the beast, which is the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. The beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. Here we see the capture of the false prophet and the Antichrist. This was not done during the Battle of Armageddon. It is done here at the Great Supper of the Lamb, or the Great Supper of God. This is the battle here that the Antichrist and the false prophet will fight in. The battle of Armageddon, they did not. Go back and reread Revelation 16, verse 6. The Antichrist and false prophet are not in that battle. The evil spirits that came out of the mouths of these two are the ones that called the nations to battle together. So this is another war after Armageddon, a separate one. And this is the one where the armies of heaven conquer. Jesus Christ does Armageddon by himself. The armies of heaven come together on white horses with Christ, and they do this one. Now, look at closely the unfolding of these events. The battle of Armageddon causes the blood spatters on the robe of Jesus. The result of the pouring out of the seventh bowl. Now remember, the seventh bowl had the hailstones of 100 pounds each. That battle in Armageddon is not fought by the armies of heaven. God already finished that battle with the supernatural occurrence of the pouring of the seventh bowl. This is where the battles of the armies of the he- armies coming from heaven participate in. The end of this war results in the capture and the destruction of the two most evil and vile things that the earth has ever seen. The punishment will fit their crime. As God is just and true in all of his ways, and if you read Revelation 19, verse 21, the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Here we have an an indication of how these people are killed. They're killed by Jesus Christ. And obviously the armies following afterwards, they, I'm sure, are also capable of killing as they, I'm sure, would also carry weapons. Armies without weapons does not happen. So everybody has got themselves a sword. Is it possible when the sword comes out of the mouth, Look at the metaphor here. If you were to have a sword that comes out of your mouth, you could interpret that to say words that can kill. Look into this possibility. A lot of times we see pictures of Jesus coming back with the writers behind him, and they all have swords, and they're slashing people left and right and killing them. But the sword here is coming out of the mouth of Jesus. It is not in his hand. 
So I believe that this is something that is spoken and it is done. If Jesus Christ comes over on the horse to a group of people that are trying to rise up against him, all he does is say the word and they fall dead. I believe that that's what this is trying to explain. Of course, we will know this as time goes on. We will all be a witness to this. And you know what? If you are a believer, you'll be the victor on the horses. Or you'll be in heaven attending the wedding banquet. Um, or, of course, we'll do that. But you will be in heaven. I don't know if we are able to make a choice as to whether or not we wish to ride with Christ or not. Or if it's just something that is saved for the Old Testament saints. Don't know that. We will find that out when we get there. But one thing we can know. Grow with Christ now and get your faith strong. As the tribulation approaches, we are not in it yet, folks, but it's coming close. Once the tribulation period comes into play, keep your faith strong because look at the reward you get. You get to take part of the wedding in heaven. You will be the bride of Christ. And imagine how beautiful we will be. Also, look at the victory that we can do if we are chosen to fight with him afterwards. That is also a possibility. But what we would really look forward to is what is this thousand-year reign of Christ like. And we will touch on that next week. You please tune in, tune in, have your friends tune in, because what I'm going to explain to you what is like with that holy city of Jerusalem coming down from heaven, I think you'll find amazing. And I'll put it into common sense perspective. My name again is Christine Wyke. You can reach me at www.explainthis.us or my phone number, 888 Thank you for listening.